0: Welcome to the Bro Novo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Okay, welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Bronovo Podcast. It's your host, Thomas Pierce. Today with me, I have a very special guest, uh, DJ Alojo. Did I pronounce your last name correctly, DJ? Yes, sir. Or- Sweet, welcome to the podcast, man. DJ is the managing director of ASO Custom Homes in Atlanta. He's a real estate investor, a licensed builder, constructor, and also uh, does consulting in that space. So, welcome, DJ, to the
1: to the pod. Hey, I appreciate it, Thomas. Thanks so much for the opportunity to uh, to chat with you today and uh, introducing me to your audience.
0: For sure. So, I have mostly considered real estate as a way to diversify my invest investments down the line, um, you know, kind of getting out of the rent uh, rat race, if you will, and diversifying out of the stock market, looking at savings and kind of trying to build wealth that way. How did you get into the, the space? You know, today you're an expert. What was your path to, to this moment with, with real estate?
1: Um, awesome. So, I started after the kind of 2008 2009 real estate crash. Um, and so I was a management consultant working for a consulting firm in the metro Atlanta area. And I was on boats, planes, and trains. And that was my job made pretty good money and was helping healthcare clients um, save people um, by human capital consulting. And uh, some of my buddies who I went to college with said, Hey, you know, these Atlanta condos are selling for really, really cheap. You know, maybe we should pull our money together and uh, see if we can buy one. And you got to remember, I'm maybe a year and a half, two years removed from undergrad. And then my buddies are like, you know, starving grad school students. Um, (laughs) And we're like, all right, cool. We're like, you know, I got I got three thousand dollars. You got two thousand dollars. And one of my buddies just started working with IBM. And so. He was able to uh, qualify for a loan when all of us uh, couldn't, right? And so, long story short, that didn't work out because my buddy's dad said, (laughs) yeah, I don't think it's a good idea for you to be co-signing and qualifying for your three buddies or four buddies, right? So, um, fast forward, uh, one of my other buddies um, who was also in grad school at the time, um, he had a little bit of money saved and he said, you know, he's going to do it. So, he jumped out and He bought his first property and he called me and my buddies up and was like, Hey, look, I'm buying this property. Do you guys want to invest? I'll give you a return on your money. And, uh, fast forward, we invested, I invested $5,000, my life savings at the time. And, uh, he gave me back $6,000. And I was like, huh, if he gave me back $6,000, he probably made a lot more than that. So, you know, I want to loan more. And, um, that's kind of what started the journey. And it kind of just snowballed from there as a part time, fun, exciting thing to do on the side to um, a full time career um, eight eight or so years later after that initial investment.
0: That's awesome. I was so ready for you to be like that first go at it. And it worked out perfectly. And we still work yeah. together, all, all four of us.
1: <laughs> uh, no, nah, that didn't quite work out. Um, you know, one thing about real estate is that just like most relationships, real estate is is cyclical and and seasonal. And so, you know, you have partnerships, you have relationships and as you grow and as you learn more, um, you still work together, but then you just work in different ways. So.
0: And did you grow up in a family where real estate was discussed or a familiar topic? How did you, how was your comfort level originally?
1: Yeah, so I was I was semi comfortable with real estate. Um, I knew of it as an investment vehicle. Uh, my mom is a real estate broker, um, and my my dad became a real estate agent. But they tried investment real estate, but they didn't really like it. Um, I grew up in Detroit, and so they tried buying some investment properties in Detroit, and just did not really care for it. Um, and they would help people buy and sell houses, but it wasn't really their full-time job. It was more of a side thing they did. And so they both had good careers and I was familiar with the asset class and familiar with real estate, but by no means was I an expert.
0: Gotcha. I ask because I think if it's a different type of investment, a different career, any kind of new challenge, a lot of people, at least I hear this with my people around me a lot, maybe you do too, of like, they're uncomfortable trying it because they don't know anything yet as a, as a, a thing that holds them back from trying something new. So how did you kind of push through that and try? Cause now it's your career. You love it. You know, you're on the other side, if you will. And what other, someone's listening and it's personal finances, their relationship with alcohol a personal relationship with someone else, you know, there's always limiting beliefs. So how did you personally push through those in in this, you know, specific context?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you got to remember, you know, everybody talks about real estate nowadays in a very rosy, you know, uh, way, right? Everybody wants to own real estate. Real estate values have increased tremendously over the last, you know, few years. And so you look really smart if you were buying real estate two or three or four or five years ago. Um, But the time when we started, Buying real estate, nobody wanted real estate. You know, the real estate crash just happened. We were in a recession, and buying real estate was like the plague. It was like, why are you buying that? You know what I mean? And so ultimately, um, the reason I was able to push past it is because uh, a couple things. One, I had a good job where I was making decent income, I had a, a 401k, and the money I was using was additional. Uh, savings that I was saving. Right. And so I wasn't married. I didn't have any real responsibilities besides, you know, my, my rent payment and my student loan payment and stuff like that. So I figured if this went bad, my worst case scenario is that I lose this pot of money uh, that is just a kind of a, a rainy day fund. And so by, by putting myself in a situation where I was okay with the worst case scenario. I was able to do my due diligence and, and jump into an investment and, and it paid off. And that's how each one um, kind of just multiplied and, and snowballed into something bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but I think in any situation, um, when your audience thinks about how do you do something that you are scared of, right? I think there are two things that help me in those situations, right? One is I evaluate the situation. And I say, okay, what is the worst case scenario for this situation? And in that situation, if I can stomach the worst case scenario, I proceed. Right. And then the other way I evaluate situations um, is if I was on my deathbed and I did not do this thing. Right. Would I look back and have regrets? And so. Those two filters allow me to approach my decision-making process um, with a little bit more clarity. Um, one, because if it's a deathbed type situation, I am like, "Hey, okay, we're gonna do it. We're gonna figure out a way to make it happen." And if it's a situation where the worst-case scenario is not the worst thing in the world to me, you know, I'm okay. I'm okay risking it. Um, now, I will say my risk tolerance is pretty decent, but you know, that lens and that filter uh, allows me to make good educated uh guesstimates
0: that's awesome man i love that i do a similar thing with the deathbed but for things that are upsetting me Mm -hmm. so let's Uh, say something's a a pain in the butt right now and i think about you know in my last moments am i gonna care about this problem (laughs) and if the answer is no then i say fuck it (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like let's go <laughs> that's awesome dude
1: no that's hilarious that's hilarious um,
0: <laughs> sometimes it's like oh, there are things that like my girlfriend will be like yeah you should probably care about that more but... <laughs> <laughs> so
1: um yeah the problem that's,
0: <sighs> yeah please
1: go ahead and I was going to say, I was going to say, the problem that your girlfriend is probably pointing out is probably like, you know, hey, does the house need to be clean? Ah, will right, I care about right, that on my right. deathbed? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Definitely can be used in uh, used in the wrong way.
1: <laughs> absolutely.
0: Nice, man. So the other thing that, you know, you on your, your kind of public-facing content is around community building as opposed to, you know, this is my inference also, please, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I sensed, you know, there's a community building aspect and not just a profit through real estate aspect. So is that something that you, mm
1: -hmm. yeah, so absolutely, man. So, um, I'm really, really passionate about real estate. And, um, in particular, I'm passionate about individuals owning real estate. Right. So there's a couple of different areas in which, uh, my my passion, in which I try to be a strong advocate for, one is a first time home ownership. Um, I think first time home ownership is so key and so crucial because the uh, home uh, a home creates a lot of different economic drivers for an individual. Right? Not only do they get the tax benefits, not only do they um, get to call a place home and build community around that place, but you know. There was, there was a study done, I think, around uh, 1990 about uh, people who purchased homes um, versus those who were renting. Um, and this study was published in the Journal of Economics. Um, I think, again, it was the study's a little dated because they filed these people for 15 years, right? And what it showed is that people who Owned homes uh, had anywhere between six to fifteen thousand dollars more net worth per year than those who do not own homes, right? And so, if you think about that from an economics perspective, is you know, that's that's a game changer um, as it pertains to someone's personal finances, as it pertains to how quickly they could retire as it pertains to um, the type of experiences they can expose their kids to and their family to. And I think that home ownership is so, so crucial and so key. And so I'm a big fan for first time home ownership. Um, the other thing that to me goes hand in hand with for first time ownership is, is affordable housing and, and really understanding that, you know, Housing in America is becoming unaffordable for many families. Right. And so many families are stuck being renters because they can't afford to get their house. No, even even though we have, you know, FHA loans, even though we have things like the NACA program, even though we have different government assistant assistance programs. And so. I think the affordable housing piece is also very, very key, and something that you know we try to advocate for, and something that we try to implement in our own kind of uh, business strategies as we move forward. Uh, and then the last piece that goes hand in hand with uh, home ownership and affordable housing is the foreclosure prevention side, right? And so the other thing that we spend a lot of time doing, um, and one of the things that I personally have done a lot of is, is really trying to help folks who are going in foreclosure. And and you say, OK, DJ, what do you mean by that? Well, I started buying houses um, during the downturn on the courthouse steps in Atlanta, Georgia. Right. And so we, you would have to go to the courthouse steps. A house would be auctioned off and you would bid on that house. And that's how we used to buy buy property pretty consistently. And that foreclosure sale happens every month in every county across Georgia, right? And it happens in every state uh, across the United States. They have different share of sales and things like that. But depending on the individual, right? Uh, there's a lot of times when somebody can have a significant amount of equity in their property and they just let it go to sale. Uh, and then they lose out on the home. They lose out on the community and they lose out on equity. Right. And so those three different variables um, for that individual um, impact their future and their destiny significantly. And so being able to help them understand the best option and the best outcome in their situation, although they're having some financial stress at the moment, um, is one of the things that we really try to help people with Um, in my career. I've talked to thousands of people going to foreclosure. And the story is similar across all those people. And it's really about just trying to help them not be a dare in headlights and try to find a way forward. And so those three areas of our business are are places in which we we try to help. You know, obviously, I do run a for-profit entity. And so we do have to capitalize. Um, But those are the areas in real estate that we are super passionate about. And, you know, I could talk at nauseam about each and every one of them just because uh, I think that they're really, really important.
0: That's absolutely amazing. So in the scenario of, let's say you buy, you buy a property that's being foreclosed. Now you have, or your entity has the rights to the home. So are you working with the people who lost the house to help them get it back? Or are you, you know, I guess, uh, what is different in this scenario than if, um, someone without your, um, skills and mission had bought the house, like, uh, It sounds like there's a pathway for these people to get their homes back through your efforts.
1: Well, not necessarily a pathway to get the home back, you know, um, because once it goes to auction, you know, the, 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 the situation is pretty much finished if they allow it to get there. You know, our efforts typically start with people before they go to auction. So, you know, up until the time your house is actually foreclosed on, there's typically a lot of different off ramps that somebody can have. You know, they could reinstate their loan. They can get money from friends and family to, to catch up their mortgage. They can get a modification. They can, um, they can uh, refinance if their credit is not significantly damaged. Um, there, there are lots of different ways that they can uh, fix the problem. And worst case scenario, in all honesty, they can file bankruptcy, right? You know, So there, there are numerous different steps they can take to keep their home if they're informed and if they're really looking for a solution, right? Um, but once the house is sold, Typically, the only thing that we can do for them is just treat them with respect. Right. And that could be, hey, I'm going to give you additional time in the house. That could be, hey, I'm going to give you a cash for keys payment to say, hey, look, I'm going to give you 60 days to move out. I'm also going to give you a lump sum of cash to kind of get you started on your way. And oh, by the way, if the property sold for significantly more than what your mortgage is, I'm going to help you work with the attorneys to get the overage funds that are due to you because you've lived in the house so long. Right. And so we do things like that. But I think the best time and the best way to work with those folks who may be in some type of financial distress or going in foreclosure is before the foreclosure. You know, depending on what state you live in. They're anywhere between three and 12 months before the foreclosure sale happens. And so there's typically amount of time that someone can actually do something uh, to help uh, uh, to help fix or correct their situation. Uh, And that's where we try to help people. And that's where we try to get in front of the 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 foreclosure sale.
0: So if somebody declares personal bankruptcy, how does that impact their the foreclosure process if they're say behind on their mortgage. Uh,
1: so you know, th- let me just put this out there. I'm not an attorney. Um, I'm not an, <laughs> an accountant. I don't I don't play one on TV, right? And so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, bankruptcy bankruptcy is a very nuanced topic, right? And so I don't want to make it seem like you know I'm an expert on it. However, I have dealt with it both as a lender and as you know someone who is. Um, Who's helping folks who are in foreclosure. But no matter what, if someone files uh, bankruptcy before their foreclosure, it automatically stops the foreclosure. Um, And so that's pretty much what it does. Now, obviously, there's going to be an impact to their credit. There's other different ramifications. And I think that if anybody is considering bankruptcy, their best bet is to talk with the bankruptcy attorney to really understand how it impacts their situation. But. A lot of times when you're dealing with somebody whose credit is already messed up, they obviously are in a tough situation because they're not paying their mortgage. So, you know, they're not taking care of the roof over their head Um, and. They may or may not know kind of where that next income is coming in. Uh, I think it's a conversation that you know, do you really care about your credit at that point? Because you know, th- th- it's probably the least of your worries, right? And if you can get yourself back on the right path, then this really that may be the best option for you in that situation. Um, so it's definitely case by case, uh, and I would just always recommend that if somebody's in foreclosure and anywhere down the pipeline, that they do a few things. One is that. They do something. Right. And when I say something, a lot of people that I've worked with over the years, they stop and they look like a deer in headlights. So they know the foreclosure is coming, but it's like a bad dream and they go to sleep every night having the same dream. But they they, they think they're going to wake up and it's, it's, it's going to change or it's going to be over. Right. And so that's the first thing is that you have to do something. Um, uh, HUD has numerous resources online um, with foreclosure counselors and stuff like that, that you can reach out to for free. Um, Different metros have legal aid. Like for example, Atlanta has Atlanta legal aid. Um, Other states have legal aid that will provide you with guidance and assistance. Um, In addition to that, you have to use Google as your friend, right? You know, um, and I know everybody's not, everybody's not technically savvy, but I think that there's so much information out there um, that, by just staying and doing nothing, um, they put themselves in a really, really uh, uh, bad predicament.
0: It makes total sense because you know credit can be rebuilt, but you know if someone becomes homeless or houseless and is couch surfing for a while and then ends up living on the street, that seems like such a deeper hole to get out of than rebuilding credit, for example. <laughs>
1: That's so true. Right. And there's a couple things that that people need to realize. I think that everybody has to always do an autopsy um, on their specific situation to know what happened and the best way to move forward. But if you look at home affordability, right, I think that realtor.com had some statistics around. The affordability of housing. And and I think in the last few years, right, the 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 median price for housing is over three hundred thousand dollars versus if you look about five or 10 years prior to that, it was around two hundred thousand dollars. And so just in that short time span, the average house has gone up significantly and, you know, averages across the United States. So there's a lot of generalities in here. But if you look in your own specific market, we know that houses are, are more today than they were 10 years ago. Right. And so. For that homeowner who may be in foreclosure um, and you're dealing with a situation and you're asking, well, isn't it better just to get rid of the house? I think the questions you need to ask yourself are, you know, what does my next 10 years look like? Right. Do you plan to stay in the same place? Do you plan to have the same job? Do you plan to be in the same city? Um, and can you get a similar property in that city for what you are supposed to be paying your mortgage or your rent? Because the disconnect that a lot of people have and what they don't see currently is that the mortgage you pay that includes it, that includes your taxes, your insurance and your principal and interest is going to be less than what you're going to pay for a one or two bedroom apartment in most major cities nowadays. And so you have to think about how that impacts you. And if you can't afford a mortgage that's fifteen hundred, how can you afford rent that's two thousand? Um, and so those are all the kind of the tugs and the pools that we try to help people understand. And, and in our conversations and in and, and working with different folks that, that we try to help bring to light. Um, by no means do we. Um, by no means are we able to help and save everybody, but those folks who come across our path, we just try to make sure that we give them the best advice possible.
0: That's amazing, dude. And yeah, like unless someone comes into some inheritance property or something where they don't have to pay for everyone has to pay for the roof over their head you know and it's 24 times a year you have to cut a check you yeah, know for, absolutely for the roof over your head and it's like you, do you want to work towards getting nothing back or in the, in or pursue a scenario where you get some equity in that property um but just to dial it back to basic terms so my understanding of equity in a house is how much. Let's say there's 100 units to purchase until the property is completely owned. Let's say over over 100 months. If I pay, you know, 12 months of my mortgage, I essentially have 12 percent of the home that I, of that equity that I am entitled to. Is that is that accurate?
1: Um, I'm just, I just want to make sure I'm following your math. 100 units, you pay 12 months. That gives so you twelve like, percent. Yeah, yeah. No, no. no that's no. I got you. That's easy. That's easy numbers. Yeah. So that is that's true to a certain degree, right? And what I mean that's true to a certain degree is the thinking that you're providing there is linear. You, you the thinking is that the value of that property is fixed. So you buy a property for a hundred thousand dollars. You you pay twelve thousand uh, dollars off on the property, and now the value of the, 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 the equity that you have is 12,000 because the value stated a hundred thousand with the $88,000 left being, you know, a mortgage or whatever else may be the case, right? Your, your thinking is correct on a linear perspective, but one thing you have to remember about real estate is that typically in most times, um, real estate appreciates just say on average, you know. 2% per year, right? Depending on what marketing your market what markets you're in. So just say 2% per year. So in the course of five years, that house that was one that was a hundred thousand is now worth one ten, right? And you paid off, just to keep the numbers the same, you paid off twelve thousand dollars, right? And so now your equity has grown from just twelve thousand dollars to twenty-two thousand dollars. And so you're getting equity with loan pay down, but then you also are getting equity with appreciation. And so that gap continues to widen as time goes on and on and on and on. And so, and that's the beauty of it. In addition to for a homeowner, it's the tax benefits, right? And so when you're paying rent and you're doing all those things, you know, that principal and interest that interest you're paying on your mortgage. You you can't get a tax write off for that, right? I mean, you can get a tax write off for that, mm-hmm. but the rent you can't get a tax write off for. And so you have all these little things that help uh, exacerbate your wealth ability, edge. um and your you know your net worth. Going back to that study I cited earlier,
0: that's awesome. I didn't know that. I didn't know that you could. I obviously, never went to home. It's actually as I've been educating myself. It's on my, you know. I haven't actually proposed this to my girlfriend yet, but I'm proposing this. the rolling 12 months. I want to be the last 12 months that we pay rent on a home as opposed to, you know, owning a home because I've seen this story before, you know, um, what's going to happen if we don't? Is this going to be more money in an expensive market to someone else's mortgage? So...
1: Absolutely, man. You know, and that's <laughs> yeah. the thing is, I think that I think that you know, people always talk about time in the market, right? And, and I get this question so often. It's like, well, you know, I'm going to buy a home when when the property values go back down. Or I'm going to buy a home when the mortgage rates go back down. Or I'm going to buy a home once everything around me is perfect, everything is comfortable. Or I want to get married first, then I want to buy a home. Or, you know, there are all these situations that, you know, people make, right? (laughs) Right?
0: There there are
1: all these different things that people people say, well, I can't find the right home, right? Um, I would say that if you plan to be in the same location for the next five plus years, it's a good time to buy a home. And, and the reason I give that feedback and the reason I give that uh, statement the next five years, because if you know that you're going to be moving and you don't want to be a landlord, you don't want to rent it out or do anything like that, then it may be better renting because you don't want to be, you know, dealing with the property manager or you don't want to be in a situation where, you know, you're. In a location for school for a couple years and then you're going to just move on somewhere else. Right. So if you don't have a five year plus time horizon um, to stay in the home, it may not be the best time for you to buy a house. But however, if you're going to be somewhere for five or more years. Right. And the prices of real estate continue at their normal pace of, you know, just say even one percent. Your house should be worth five percent more than whatever you pay for it. Plus, you have the five years of loan pay down. Um, And then you can figure out what you want to do. So that Delta, you know, of just say, I don't know, 10% of what the original purchase price is, gives you a lot of leverage that even if you had to sell it in five years, you at least break even. And if you live somewhere for five years and you break even... Well, you can just be happy that you had a backyard where your dog can run around and you had a place to invite your friends over and you did the experience and you got the tax benefits, you know, versus saying I lived in an apartment for, you know, all those years. So, you know, that that's my recommendation to all your listeners and especially you, Thomas, you know. Let this uh, last, let this sure. let this next twelve months be your last twelve months. You know, um, you find a house, and again, there's so many different programs out there, um, affordable housing programs that allow people to have low down payments. And the beauty of those programs, and the beauty of the current market, is because interest rates are where they are right now, and because there's a a, a chasm in the market between what buyers want to pay and what sellers want to receive. There's a great opportunity where sellers are open to different things that they weren't open to 6, 12, 18 months ago when they were getting multiple offers, cash, and you had all different type of iBuyers and investors trying to buy their property. Sellers right now in this current market are open to creative financing. They're open to homeowner assistance programs. They're open to... FA, FHA loans, VA loans. They're open to 45, 60, 90 day closing timelines. You know, sellers have become much more reasonable in the current market. And I think that it would be, um, it would be unintelligent uh, of me not to inform your listeners that they need to take advantage of the current market because it won't be like this forever. Um, The the rates won't be where they are right now forever. They will change. They, they, They will go up and they will go down. And I think that you have to pick and choose your spot to say, hey, maybe I refinance in the future three, four, five, six years from now, or maybe I just ride the wave because, you know, our parents and our grandparents had interest rates in the teens, so you know seven or eight percent is not that bad when you're when you're looking at fifteen or sixteen percent.
0: I hope you are enjoying this week's episode of the Bro Nouveau podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it and bringing it to you. To get involved in the conversation, you can send me an email, contact at bronouveau.com or find me on Instagram at bronouveaupod. Please share this episode out with someone who you think will enjoy it. And you can leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For full-length video episodes, head over to YouTube and search bronouveaupodcast. Podcast. Enjoy. in history, what
1: were they that high? Like the 70s? Yeah, yeah, I believe. I I think it was around the 70s. Uh, I talked to a lot of older real estate investors and and they always laugh when we complain about these real estate uh, interest rates right now. And they always like, you know, they were like, my my first house, you know, I had an 18% mortgage. And, you know, I look up and, you know, now obviously their houses were cheaper than they are now, but still, you know, at the time it was expensive to them. And so I think that when people look back in time, you know um, the the mistake that I always heard people talk about is I've never heard anybody say you know I really regret you know making that purchase of a home you know five six seven eight nine ten years down the line um, so right.
0: especially if it's within your means right and that's what you were talking about taking account of you know is this I mean the things the things that jump to mind to me are like if I'm making an assessment are my my um, income potential, my earning potential—is it stable? You know, say I'm making um, a certain amount of money right now. Is that going? Am I going to be able to sustain that income, whether it be my current job or a different job, over the life of the mortgage? Okay, um, is the house going to appreciate? Yeah, we know that. Um, you know, I guess like you were saying, working out the worst case scenarios because I know there were, you know, like in '08 before you started, there were all these mortgages being sold that were not within the means, from my understanding, we're not within the means of the people who signed up for the mortgages and these loan officers were giving, you know, kind of uh, predatory deals. Um, Absolutely. So I guess, so yeah, that's, that's a good one. Like, how can someone, What is the, what are the basic pieces of information someone needs to look at before they sign on, on a mortgage, for example, as far as, you know, very high level, like basics, like assessment of, does, is this, a sustainable investment for me? How do I avoid, you know, being someone like an 08 where they were suddenly, um, out of, out of a home?
1: Absolutely. So I think there's a couple things. So, you know, before the, the, the real estate crash that you're referencing, right. You know, those loans were very predatory. Um, they would allow people to, you know, get into houses knowing that in a few years they wouldn't be able to afford them. And so, um, our government has put numerous stock gaps in place to, to to deal with that. And if you look at the mortgages originated over the last, you know, five, seven, you know, 10 years, the, the there's much better quality paper. And what I mean by that is that borrowers have strong income um, borrowers have good debt to debt to income ratios. And it's just it's just better, better, stronger Buyer profiles. That's the first thing. Um, as it pertains to what someone needs to assess uh, in their own current situation before they buy a home, I think that it's just a basic kind of financial assessment, right? So, how much do you make? You know, how much are you currently spending on on, on where you're living and what you're doing? Um, how much can you afford to spend on a home? And you know, also it's not just the purchase of the home, but it's also the upkeep and everything else, right? And then um, based on that, I would call up a loan officer and say, okay, hey, loan officer, you know, run my finances, my debt, my income, all that through your scenario, and let me know what you think I can afford and what the payment looks like. And so by doing that, someone will get a really good understanding of how much house they can buy, um, if they can be competitive in whatever market they're looking in. And you begin to understand what's needed to actually take that step to home ownership. And I think the other thing that people need to do is don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Right. I think that's the that's the thing that stops a lot of people is that they don't know. They get afraid of telling people they don't know and they don't get the help they need. There are so many resources out here for first time buyers. There's so many good podcasts. There's so many educated real estate professionals, so many good realtors out there um, who will help you um, understand the process, understand the journey and help you navigate that home ownership journey successfully and so I think that you have to be curious about it and you have to really know that that's a wealth building tool the same way you are putting money in your 401k and your retirement account um, you have to really look at the home ownership piece as another leg in that stool of financial security and wealth building
0: preach I love it that's good man and I think you know people can listen here right I'm asking the questions and hopefully people are getting inspired, um, like I am to to take it more seriously. Right, and, and I think that like we were talking about earlier, any big life change or challenge, there's always a good excuse to not start now. One
1: hundred percent. One hundred percent.
0: It's make the assessment, and prioritize it. Right, like I, it's kind of cheesy, but I like to. I don't like to say I don't have time for something. I'll admit what's happening and I'll say I'm not prioritizing that right now
1: Yeah, and that's and, the case
0: it's like that's what it is there's no real other way to be like about it because <laughs> either you're prioritizing something and making it happening or you're not and that's, that's and, my assessment it might be a little you know black and white but
1: well, no, I think that's the case, right? You know, I think it's the same thing. You can make that same argument for, for family. You can make it for working out. You can make it for, for business. You know, you're doing something with the with the 24 hours you have in a day, right? Whether it's sleeping, whether it's playing games, whether it's working, um, you're doing something with that time. And so I think anything that is important to you, you make time for. Um, and so I think to your listeners and, and to, to everyone who hears the podcast, I think the big thing is that. If home ownership and financial freedom is important to you, I think you got to make time to understand it. And in our society, um, there are so many different resources available to to anybody who's interested in anything. You know, just go on Google, uh, just go on YouTube. You know, just just open up Apple, and uh, you will see tons of different. People talking about whatever you're interested in. And I think that that's the that's the key to 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 learn more, to get inquisitive about it. Um, But I I really do think deep down in my heart, in particular for low income families. Right. Because I think that those people who are either come from wealth or who have, you know, a family that is uh, financially stable, independent or who are high income earners. The conversation of them buying a home versus not buying a home to me is a little bit different um, because if they make a certain amount of money, you know, they will still be able to max out their 401k. They'll be still able to make investments. You know, they are credit investors. They'll be able to do other things, whether they have real estate or not. The people who I really think need to dive in and really understand are those folks who are on the lower end of the financial spectrum. Those folks who, you know, you have to use a three percent down loan. You need to get government assistance, you know, in order to buy your first house. And I think the reason why it's so important for that group. Is because as inflation continues to rise and as the years and years pass on, what's going to happen with that group is that they're going to be stuck as renters. And the option to buy won't be available to them in four years or five years or 10 years because the price point of a house is going to continue to increase and it's going to be out of reach. And I think that those people are the people who need to take it the most seriously, because as time goes on, it gets more and more difficult to to achieve that American dream, and um, those at the bottom of the financial spectrum are the ones who who carry the biggest burden on it.
0: Absolutely, I mean wages don't increase at the same pace as inflation.
1: Hundred percent, yeah, I know
0: that for sure. So, yeah, that's I think that's good. Let's let's revisit that. You know the the economic benefits of homeownership. One, you're building building that equity that we talked about. So it's appreciating over time plus the tax benefit. And also I would imagine, you know, there's kind of a a cumulative benefit of, let's say a house where everyone, uh, excuse me, a block where everyone rents versus owns. If people own and the majority of their neighbors own, then there's more mutual investment in the actual environment. And taking care of the place, maybe supporting local businesses because my family's rooted here, your family's rooted here. You own that shop. I'm gonna, I'm gonna patron the shop. Um, what are the other kind of benefits that come about uh, from for the individual and for the community when people are owning as opposed to renting?
1: Well, I think you hit on a lot of them, right? I think there there's there's a pride of ownership, right? So. You know, if I own my house, you know, I'm not going to let the gutters be full of leaves and and have, you know, trash in my driveway. You know, I'm going to make sure my lawn is cut. I'm going to make sure it's pristine, right? So your community community looks better. That's number 1. Number 2 is that you actually know your neighbors, right? It's hard to live next to somebody for numerous years and not know their name and and, and not know, you know, the kids' names and not build relationship, right? And so we are relational people. And so knowing, you know, that, you know, my kid Joe goes to school with your kid Sue, it's important, right? They're in the same grade. They they, they ride the same school bus together or, or, or they walk to school together. And as time goes on, you know, you build relationships, you build a bond and you build trust. There, there's security um, in that. And so I think that those are the two important things. But the other side of that is that, as those houses stay maintained and neighborhoods improve, schools improve, the tax basis increases. And so the, the municipality gets additional tax income. Um, and as time goes on, the values improve. Right. And so the barrier of entry to get into that neighborhood continues to go up as time goes on. And so you get people with higher income potential. You get people moving into the neighborhoods who are who are helping uh, increase the, the taxes. Um, which go back to support the schools and go back to support the roads and, and the community in general. You get parks, you get all those other things that help with the infrastructure. Um, and so I think the biggest thing, though, is that sense of community. All right. Is that you get a place where you are looking out for somebody else and somebody else is looking out for you. And in our transient culture today where where people don't necessarily live in the same neighborhood they grew up, they move all the way across the country, you know, you know, they don't have people who they know and, and can trust to watch their kids. You know, that's invaluable in today's culture. Um, I just look at my neighborhood and, you know, I can look at my neighborhood and know that if for some reason. I couldn't get home to to see my kids get on the school bus or get off the school bus. You know, I got four or five people who I could call and say, hey, would you mind standing and waiting for my kids at the school bus? Right. You know, what I mean, uh, versus if I was renting somewhere, I may not have that same ability. Right. And you don't have to necessarily worry as an owner about your landlord saying, hey, I'm increasing the rent. Right? Your your mortgage should be fixed. In addition to that, you don't have to worry about your landlord saying, Hey, I'm sorry, I need you to get out and here's your sixty day notice, right? Go find somewhere else to live. Like you don't have those same worries or concerns when you own the property. And I think that those are the, the, the untalked about benefits of, of home ownership. It's that community piece. Hmm.
0: I know from US history with the history of redlining in particularly you know, there was this blocking of black people getting access to those loans and into neighborhoods. What is the current state with that in, in the US? I mean, cause we've talked about kind of in the past, but is that, is that still a barrier in, in certain parts of the country or have those things kind of, is there, has there been enough of a spotlight on them that it's kind of prevented in, in the current day?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I wouldn't call myself a historian. Right. But I'm definitely familiar with 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 redlining and what happened and things like that. And, and I think, you know, does it exist today? I do not think it exists today in that same capacity. Right. I think that the, the federal government has has specific mandates that that allow for equal opportunity um, for every American um, and individual to be able to 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 purchase real estate. That being said, I think the effects and impacts of things like redlining, things like, you know, historical racism and segregation and all those things that um, have impacted the story of America are still very true today. Right. You know, when I look at those folks um, who are on affordable housing um, in, in the metro Atlanta area. Unfortunately, what I see is that, you know, predominant, predominantly many of them are, are, are people of color, right? Um, and they're typically women um, of color. And so I think that those things continue to be issues that uh, plague our country. But at the same time, as it pertains to the ability of, of individuals to Get beyond that to, to work hard to to find opportunities to not only uh, build businesses and achieve the American dream. I think that that is very very. Evident in our current society and our current culture. And I think the sky is the limit as it pertains to any individual's uh, talent and ability uh, with the resources that are available to them today. Right. So, you know, I, I can't I can't block out the past and say, oh, this doesn't impact the future. But I think that our future as a country is very bright. And I think that, you um, it's up to individuals like me and you to continue the conversation and to and to help those who may not be in a position to help themselves um, the best we the best way we can by providing good information, good insight, um, because I'm not sure about you, Thomas, but you, you probably grew up in a home and you, you probably grew up in a place where, you know, when you left school every day. You knew where you were coming back to and it was a safe place, a place you want to be. Maybe you had your own bedroom. Maybe you had to share with a sibling, whatever. Right. But it was, it was your home, right? Uh, Unfortunately, today, there's so many kids who go to school every day who they have to get free lunch at school, right? They have to get their meals while they're at school because when they get home, they may not be able to get meals. Or, you know, they come home every day and, you know, maybe the place they're living is is roach infested or, you know, there are all these different things that... You know, the home provides to individuals that we may not think about because we don't have those experiences. And so, you know, I think that it's important for us to just have that conversation and figure out how do we continue to help advocate for, you know, home ownership and for um, the financial kind of independence of those folks who are on the lower income spectrum.
0: Love it, man. And I love the message of empowerment. I'm of the same mind, and I feel like there's a lot of negativity out there, you know, in in a lot of different contexts just about people's ability to improve their own circumstances. Um, And I try to, you know, with this program, chart the other course and say there's a lot. You know, of course, everyone has their challenges and their setbacks, and our culture is not perfect at all, Um, you know, and lived experiences are different for different groups. But, or rather, not but, but and, at the same time, you know, like you were saying, there's so many resources and education available. So I I think it's awesome what you're doing, man. Um, What, uh, I guess, in that mix, specific to, um, I guess, either Detroit or Atlanta, where you live now, when it comes to um, neighborhoods turning over and the pros and cons of... um, Gentrification, you know, I potentially in your work, you work in those neighborhoods too. Um, I know it's a big question, but what do you think the those pros and cons are um, of that of that phenomenon? Uh,
1: The the whole gentrification phenomenon, you know, uh, you know, we can have a whole other podcast kind of on this topic, (laughs) right? Right. This is this is a a hot button issue and things like that, Um, but. I look at it. I look at it both ways. Um, and it, it's hard because I can't give you a straight answer because I understand both sides of the coin. I understand the people who say, hey, I've been in this neighborhood for X amount of years. I have built community here. I've helped. Um, You know, raise kids on the street. I've helped improve this neighborhood. And now because my property value, I mean, now because, you know, you want to go build something new in my neighborhood, whether it's a mixed use development, whether it's, you know, knocking down old houses and building all these expensive houses that we can't afford that, you know, I should change or I should leave or I should move. I, I understand. I understand how folks on that side feel. But what I also have seen uh, in Atlanta and then also in my in the city that I grew up in in Detroit is I've also seen how that resurgence and that gentrification can change blighted neighborhoods that are places that you would not want to drive down the street during the day to places where you have people feel that feel comfortable to run in the middle of the night. Right. And exercise in the middle of the night. And so. It's a it's a situation that you know it's almost a case by case, city by city, locale by locale um, type of conversation. Um, but I think that investors in real estate will always find ways to make money, and I think that our economic, uh, our our economy, and the American dream, and the way we incentivize people in this country. Is by improving their financial situation and creating income, and I think that people need to understand that that's what that's what's going to drive everything, right? And although you have people coming in gentrifying these neighborhoods, you also have your tax basis that is, that's increasing. Right. And so your city, your municipality, your schools are getting significantly significant amounts of money, you know, that helps them with the infrastructure that helps them pay down debt, that helps them issue bonds, that helps them do things that improve the overall community. Um, But the other side of it, too, is like, hey, you know, this is my home. Right. And so. I think that um, there are pros and cons on both sides, and I think that it's it's important to look at every issue from both sides of, of the aisle. Knowing that in some of these neighborhoods, um, it's important for us to to realize and not over uh, dramatize, you know, what's going on there. Right? I know personally, there are places in Atlanta that when I first started in real estate, I did not feel comfortable going. And I would not ask my wife or my kids to go there. But now today, some of those same locations, you know, they can go for a walk in the park and I would not worry or, or, or you know, or be afraid. And so those things are important because the people who live in those communities must also feel the same way. Um, and so I'm not giving you a really good answer on that. But at the same time, yeah. it's, it's just no, it's, a, it's, a, it's a multifaceted topic that that. Um, they're, they're good points on both sides. But I think that what it comes down to, it comes down to a city having a plan for its communities and its people and the city and the community working together to implement a pa- plan that allows for more robust um, housing and better infrastructure and the, the residents in the city of community understanding that. As time goes on, things will change in every city, and if you don't change, you get left behind.
0: Yeah, I, I, well said. It, it's one of those situations that I think just decrying it isn't that useful because it's not going to stop. Yeah, there's no legal way to stop people from buying property um, that I'm aware of. So it's yeah, like you were saying, it's you know location specific, and then. Also, probably, you know, if someone is moving into a neighborhood that they wouldn't have been in, you know, 20, 30 years ago, is have that awareness, you know, and make an effort to actually connect with your neighbors and hear them out, perhaps, you know, or just, you know, I, I think it's the it's the entitlement thing of like, oh, well, I bought a home here, so I don't have to do anything else. You know, maybe it's having a little bit more of a generous attitude of, okay, like, I'm moving in here. This neighborhood is changing. I could at least do my part to try to be nice to everybody and actually build that community like we were talking about. Um, and a lot of that comes down to basic social skills. And that's why people should yeah.
1: listen to the Bro Nuvo podcast. Absolutely, man. 100%. You know, 100%. percent you know, uh, it, it, it it help you raise your game.
0: <laughs> For sure. So, DJ, uh, before we wrap up, just on the on the personal side of the house, man, what what do you do when you're not talking shop about real estate and helping people, you know, get uh, get invested in real estate in in you know in your downtime?
1: Uh, so I got a I got a wife and I got two girls and so I'm a girl dad and so I'm typically <laughs> doing something with them maybe it's, you know whether it's gymnastics or, or swimming or something like that I'm typically sitting in the stands rooting them on or or, or taking them to practice or something like that um, and then when I'm not doing those things you know I love 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 uh, I'm kind of a foodie uh, and, and a little bit of a wino so me and my wife try to travel and we try to go uh eat at overpriced restaurants you know that, that, that are that are really good and uh and have a good time and so that's kind of my 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 passions outside of uh, real estate
0: That's awesome man Well this has been phenomenal everything from your preparation uh your oration and your bow tie are fantastic Amen. So thank I, you I man thank you so it, much man.
1: So, hey, thank you so much, Thomas, again, for the opportunity to connect with you today and and to to speak to your audience. Um, If if I can ever do anything for you or anybody um, who's listening to the podcast, feel free to reach out to me um, on LinkedIn um, or, you know, at DJ at ASO, like Apple Sam Orange Holdings, H-O-L-D-I-N-G-S dot com. So, uh, again, thank you so much. And uh, this is the Bowtie Builder sounding out. Ha oh, <laughs> Drop the
0: mic, I love it. <laughs>